those at uh, other religions who who uh, c- commit genocide. And I would say uh, to the people who want to make those comments, and even some politicians in the past, without mentioning names, uh, that have made those comments, listen, uh, the God of the Bible is the true and living God. God is the giver and taker of life. And when God looks down at a group of people and decides that they are so wicked that it is time for them all to go, God gets to make that decision. When God orders for people to be wiped off the planet, God is not held to the same set of rules that we are. It is not our place to force our sense of morality on God. It is our place to adopt His sense of morality for us. And so when God says, listen, those people are pagan, they're wicked, they don't want to get up and move, they don't want to go, then God has every right to just say, okay, all right, it's time for them to be eliminated, it's time for them to be wiped off the planet. You know, these cities, several cities out from Jericho, they could have packed their bags and and left if that's what they wanted. They chose not to do that. Letter A, a land of promise. God had promised them this land. It was to be their land and their possession. Letter B, notice a leader that was prepared. Again, we're looking at, uh, the greater point is, we're looking at God's promise to prosper Israel. And the application there is God's promise to prosper you and I. A leader that was prepared. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all of this people, unto the Lord which I do uh, give to them, even to the children of Israel. God had selected Moses for a special time to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and over to this point of crossing the Jordan. And then God had prepared along the way Joshua to do the same. The application here is simple, is that Joshua was not a perfect leader. He was not a perfect leader. But he was God's leader for those people. He was God's perfect will for that time. Joshua was to stand up and lead as he followed God. Some things about leadership here that I want to get out uh, on this point is that you will never be a successful leader until you first become a successful follower. In fact, you might be sitting here today thinking, well, nobody leads me. And if that's where you're at then you're not a very good leader yourself. You see, uh, I'm the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church. And I am the husband of Angela Lejeune. I am the father of Matthew and April. And I am supposed to lead the church. I'm supposed to lead my wife. And I'm supposed to lead my kids. But I cannot successfully do that unless I am following in perfect step God and His leadership in my life. No matter where you're at today, if you have a man that's over you at work, if you have a person that's over you in your life, uh, you cannot successfully follow, or you cannot successfully lead the people below you until you successfully follow them. Now you look at Joshua, and where he had his slip-ups along the way is when he took his eyes off the Lord and he stopped following Him properly. You look at the Gibeonites, who he made this truce with here in this book and they deceived him didn't they with the old bread and and just a couple towns later oh it's the Gibeonites and we have this truce what happened Joshua never went to the Lord 
He never went to the Lord. He did not properly follow, so he could not properly lead. To that I would say this. God had carefully prepared and selected Joshua to lead this people for this time. I look back over my my life, and, and I don't want to make the message about me, so I'm going to hit this and move. But I look back over my, my life, how that from birth up until the, the day that uh, we, we came here to pastor this church, I, I look back and I can see how that everything that happened, I believe with all my heart, God was putting these things in my path to prepare me and make me the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church. And folks, I'm not here to get any credit or glory or honor or praise because it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's about Him. But if God's going to move this church forward, then my friends, we've got to band together as brothers, sisters in Christ. I just get to be the one leading the charge, but it's God that gets the glory. And may we all follow Him together as we do it. Someone had to lead. Joshua was chosen to be that man. Exodus 33.11 says, And the Lord... Oh, and, and, and let, me, let me preface this by saying why Joshua was chosen and how God prepared Joshua. If you have your Bibles there and you can, hold your place in Joshua 1. Flip back over to Exodus chapter 33. We can see that way early on before, again, all the way back in the book of Exodus you find Joshua being prepared to be Israel's next leader. Long before Joshua would ever even know that he was going to be the one. Before Moses began grooming him, before God began moving in his heart, Joshua was already doing the things necessary to be a leader. You say, what are the things necessary? Look at verse 11 of Exodus 33. The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, notice there that he's a servant. Good leaders are great servants. His servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Joshua was there. He watched God and Moses have a conversation. Moses, as the conversation finished, walked away. Joshua was so overwhelmed by what Moses had, that he would not leave the tabernacle. He would not leave the tabernacle. He said, I want to have that relationship with my God. To properly lead, you must first properly follow. But in order to properly lead, you must first have a walk with God. You must have a walk with God. You think to yourself, well, at work, it has nothing to do with spiritual work. Listen, if you lead people at work and you don't have a spiritual title per se, you better walk with God even there if you want to properly lead at work. Israel was poised to possess. Why? Poised for success. Why? Because they had a leader that was prepared. Let her see. We see a Lord that was always present. Look at verse 5 of Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. A Lord that was always present. The Bible says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. What a great promise from God to Joshua. I will not fail thee, nor 
forsake thee. Joshua, there's going to be times where you fail me. There's going to be times where through your actions you forsake me, but I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. What was going to be the reason why uh, Israel prospered? God's promise to prosper Israel. Why were they going to prosper? Because they had the right leadership. Because uh, And because the Lord was with them. And so tonight, I would just remind you, especially if you're going through a problem and a trial in your life, the Lord is with you. You may fail Him. He never fails you. Number two, we see God's prototype to bless Israel. God's prototype to bless Israel. Many people want to be told to do A, B, C, and you'll get this great success. God promised success in verse 8. Promised it. I could ask tonight, how many of you want to be a success in life? Everybody's hand would go up. In fact, I could ask the 7.4 billion people on the planet, how many of you want to be successful in life? And the large, large majority of them, if they could, would raise their hand. I want to be successful. Now, interestingly enough, the word success is only found once in the entire Bible. And it's right here in verse 8. And so if God is saying, hey, do these things to be a success, and it's only mentioned once in the whole Bible, then we probably should pay very close attention so we can have that success. Letter A, follow God's commands. Follow God's commands. Look at verse 7. Back up a verse. Verse 7, we'll get to verse 8 in a minute here. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. As I was reading this verse in preparation for, for uh, tonight, I began to think about why is it that we don't follow God's commands. Now, when you're young in the Lord, or maybe you're a teenager, uh, which we don't have any of those in here. We have one back there. I see you, see you back there. Uh, teenagers might struggle with this, or immature people in Christ might struggle with this. And they look at the rules of the Bible, and, oh, I don't like the rules, and I want to live my life outside the rules. The Bible's just rule, 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 rule. I don't think most of you are here. I think most of you have matured past that point. So if you have matured past the point of, of kind of uh, griping about the rules of the Bible, then why is it that you don't always, you and I don't always seem to abide by the rules? Can I give you the reason why I think that we don't always follow God's commands? I think we get distracted. I think we get distracted. We have every intention of leaving church and obeying the Holy Spirit's guiding and leading in our heart from the preaching. We have every intention of getting up from our devotional time in the morning or the evening, or both, when we've walked with the Lord, and, and we've made a decision to do something that's right. And we, we get up and we're determined, I'm going to do this today. And then some distraction comes in our life, and here we go. We're off, we're off track. You ever been there where, man, you're going along, you're doing great, you're doing great, you're doing great, and then you go, whoa, wait a minute. I am way off track from where I wanted to be today. Boy, I blew it here, and I blew it here, and I blew it here. What happened? Anybody else other than me feel that way ever? What happens? We forget to rely on the Lord. We're like Peter out of the boat. By the way, Peter didn't get out of the boat to walk on the water so he could impress everybody. Peter got out of the boat because he wanted to be with Jesus. 
He couldn't get to him quick enough. Peter got out of the boat with all the right intentions. He wasn't trying to be a daredevil. He wasn't trying to be Carbonaro, right? He just getting out of the boat because he wanted to get to Jesus. And here he goes walking on the water. Peter, Peter got out of the boat with the right intentions, with the right motive, heading the right direction while all the fearful other disciples were in the boat. But why did he take his eyes off the Lord? Because he got distracted. He got distracted. We are to guaranteed success. We are to follow God's commands. I think of that dog who has his eyes on you while you eat. How many of you here own a dog? Right? We were down in Maryland over the uh, last couple of days, and they have two dogs. They're great, well-behaved dogs. And I sat down Sunday night at, the, at their table to, to eat, and that dog, man, he came and he didn't want anything to do with me before. He came and plopped down, stared right at me. Did not move the entire time I ate. That's how we're to be with righteousness. Eyes locked on it. It doesn't matter. Look, people were coming up petting that dog. People were calling that dog's name. He never moved a muscle. Satan comes along. Sin comes along. It tempts us. We're to be locked on with following God's commands. I'm not taking my eyes off of doing what's right. And when we do, we've got to be quick to confess it and get right back on it. Letter B, we're to favor God's word. Again, we're talking about guaranteed success. Now, I can spend a whole, and I probably will, spend a whole other study or sermon on defining success. Because I do believe that most Christians falsely define success. We're not talking about uh, uh, having a 401k account that's huge. We're not talking about a certain size house. We're not talking in terms of how the average person would define success. We're talking about Lazarus success. Yes, homeless. Yes, no food. Yes, disease, but in love with the Savior. That's the kind of... And by the way, uh, I would rather have that success than the rich man's success any time. But the right kind of success, how are we to obtain that? Well, we've got to favor God's Word. Look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. If you mark in your Bibles, would you highlight that part? Meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest why now why are we going to meditate in the in the Word of God day and night? What's the purpose of that? Is it so we can be smarter than everybody? Is it so we can sound more godly than everybody else? Look at the rest of the verse. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. So we meditate day and night. Why? So that we'll turn around and observe to do it. Why? So look, 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 look a little further down there. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. How do you... How do you have good success? You've got to favor God's Word. Favor it. Most people look at their Bible reading time as laborious, as a chore, as tedious. All those old English words. Pastor, why are you preaching out of an archaic book with these and thou's and ye's and yours and thine's and 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 knowest and and then you know people even church start start praying that way and pastor why don't you uh, why don't you give us a book that listen this now I'm getting way off topic but this Bible right here the King James version of the Bible the King James Bible it is God's chosen book for the English speaking people we're to value it we're to embrace it we're to enjoy it we're to 
digest it. We're to understand it and we're to let it come out in our life. How do you know if you're starting to get there? Well, when someone asks you for advice, if your first tendency is to give them advice and the Word of God doesn't come to your mind, you got a ways to go. If someone asks you for your opinion and immediately you're drawn to Bible principles, you're on the right track. You, you look at the pattern of your life. You look at the, the, the majority of your schedule of your day. Is it, is it secular driven or is it Word of God driven? I mentioned uh, on Sunday morning, I've gotten into the habit of letting the, uh, on my way to and from work, of listening to the audio Bible in my car. I listen to the same passage in the evening that I listen to in the morning. I'll listen to it first in the evening. I'll listen to it repeated in the morning. And my mind's sharper. Then what am I doing? I'm trying to observe to do. I'm trying to meditate there in day and night. I'm talking about guaranteed success. You've got to favor God's Word. I think of uh, my daughter. Uh, my daughter loves vegetables. My son doesn't love vegetables. My son loves meat. My daughter doesn't love meat. Both are necessary, right? You need to have a good, steady diet of both. They both provide nutrients and, and all that. And uh, I remember my wife began to force Matthew to eat a little bit of lettuce and eat one piece of broccoli. Some of you say, oh, you're torturing your kids. I would never make my kids eat anything they don't like. Listen, uh, i got to tell you, now Matthew can eat a whole bowl of spinach. He, did, he couldn't have done that a few months back or a few years back. April now can eat... The majority of meat. We're still working with her on fish. In fact, if you give her a piece of chicken and tell her it's a piece of fish, she has a hard time with that. Uh, she'll sit there and then you, no, it's not, you know, it's a mind games, right? Uh, but people look at the Word of God as though it's sauerkraut or it's cabbage or it's liver. Listen, you've got to learn to develop a taste for the Word of God that runs deep and rich and full. And you just can't not wait to get it. You've got to favor God's Word. It's not laborious to read your Bible. It's a joy to read your Bible. That's how you've got to feel about it. And if you're not there, stick it out. God will give you that appetite. Let her see. Focus on God's continual presence. Again, we're looking at a plan. A plan for success. A plan to prosper. Uh, verse 9 there. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. It says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. There may be a time where your mother or your father do not want to be there for you. There may be a time where your spouse does not understand where you're at in an emotional state. There may be a place and a time in your life where even the pastor is too busy to get to your side. And I pray that's not the case. If I can be by your side, I will. But where you're not comfortable telling church leadership about a situation and you feel all alone. You feel in a dark place. How do you find success? You've got to focus on God's continued presence. He's always there for you. He's always there for you. You know, you can go through the Bible and you can find all kinds of people who had great success. And most of them had what we would label a desert experience. There was some point where they all by themselves got on the backside of the desert and they got very close to God. You know, you think about Lot when Lot left Abraham. Abraham's there all by himself. What was Abraham forced to do? No longer lean on his father, his father died. 
No longer lean on his cousin. His cousin was gone. Or rather, his nephew was gone. What did he have to do? He had to lean on the Lord. You and God must get very close, and you need to be reminded of His presence. Number three, Israel's plan to remember God. Okay, Israel, you've marched in, you've conquered Jericho. You marched around the wall one time for six days, and the seventh time on the seventh day, you blew your trumpet, you shouted, and down came the walls, and great was the destruction. You had a little hiccup at Ai with uh, with Achan's sin, and uh, there was sin in the camp, and you had to expel the sin, and then you went in and you conquered Ai, and you're marching through the land, and you're seeing God give you great success. Now, what are you going to do to remember God? You see, if there's one thing we know is that a pattern from history is that people turn around and cyclically make the same mistakes and then they fall hard and then they pick themselves back up and then a generation or two later there's a hard fall and then a picking of themselves back up. And so uh, Israel was sitting here saying, what can we do to have a plan where we won't forget God? Letter A, notice a visual shrine. Look down with me at Joshua chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. There, uh, in parentheses, I have a rock memorial. The Bible says there, in verse 1, And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men, and out of the people, uh, one out of uh, every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priests feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place, and uh, where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men, whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, one out of every tribe a man, and Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan, and take you up every man uh, of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes uh, of the children of Israel, uh, that, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be put for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with him unto a place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the Ark of the Covenant, stood, and they are there unto this day. So they built this this uh, this this area. They built this uh, shrine, if you will, of stones, and it was not to be an idolatrous thing where they would come and bow down. It was meant to be a memorial. I, I find it funny that as Americans, we have these memorials all over the place. You go down over here in Stratford. I think it's off exit 32. You come around the circle and you come up there, and there's this statue. Does anybody even know what that's there for? I, I've driven by it lots and lots of times. I have no idea what it's there for. Uh, I'm sure it represents somebody who had something to do with the founding of of Stratford. Every city, every little city seems to have these. You go into Washington, D.C., and you've got all these different memorials. Why did our founders have these put here? They did not want us to forget our history. Josh was saying, you're going to put this memorial here, these stones that came out of the Jordan River. 
And these are going to remind you and remind your children. The idea is that one day you'll be walking by with your children and they'll say, Hey, Dad, what do those mean? You can tell them about the time that happened. Let her be notice a physical uh, separation. Look at Joshua chapter 5. And again, we're going through the Bible here and getting the highlights. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the other side of Jordan, westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the water of Jordan from before the children of Israel until uh, we were passed over, that their hearts melted. Neither were there any spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. At the time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. So not only was there to be this, this sign, this memorial, there was to be, it was to get personal. There was to be a circumcision of the boys uh, and all the men there as a, the cutting away of the flesh to represent the cutting away of sin out of the heart. It was intimate. It was personal. And it was to represent a very close-knit relationship with God. So these signs, these, these markings that showed Israel were part of God. Listen, the day you got saved, you are supposed to have the sin cut away from your heart. That which is the marking of a lost person is a sinful lifestyle. And I'll say this, the work of sanctification takes time. But the Bible does tell us if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creature. Letter C, we see an annual sanctification or the Passover. For Joshua chapter 5, uh, for sake of time we won't read the verses, but 10, 11, and 12, we find uh, the commandment of celebrating the Passover. They were to go about uh, performing the Passover. Why? They were to have an annual time of remembering, a plan to remember. Uh, their bodies as men were different than those of the people they were conquering. They had a memorial there. They had this Passover, this time of celebration to remind them of what it was that God had done for them. Let me just say quickly by way of application tonight is that there needs to be things that are built into the rituals of your family that show your children, show your home, show the generations to come that you are different than the world. Whether those are verses on the wall, whether that's a devotional time, all the above. Things that you do that are different than everybody else does. Listen, this whole idea that, uh, you know, such and such a neighbor went and saw this particular movie, so we need to go see the movie. Let me just tell you tonight, it would be wise for you to stay out of the movie house. It'd be wise for you. A lot of what goes on in the movie house isn't appropriate. In fact, very, the very large majority of it is not appropriate for a Christian to be watching. I'm not saying there isn't occasionally a movie here or there you could get by with watching, but uh, you're better off just staying away from there. You don't want to go into the garbage to pull one little thing out that you might find okay. But, but the world says, hey, we're over here doing this. Look, don't let your kids fall into the trap of, i got to be like such and such. No, no, no. We're Christians. We're different. We're different than they are. And this different doesn't make us weird. It doesn't make us bad. We're separated to God. And so we do things a little bit different. But listen, on the other side of that, I know parents who are different in every way at home. And they make it to where Christianity is no fun. Christianity can be a blast. You've got to find a way to make your home the funnest place on the block so your kids know that church and God and Christianity is a wonderful time as well. Number four, we see God's process in distributing the land of Israel. 
So through the land they march, city by city, city by city, conquering and conquering and conquering. And they get to a place where now they have conquered the lion's share of the land. And now they're going to turn around and distribute it. Turn over to Joshua chapter 13 and verse 7. God tells Joshua there in verse 7, Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance under the nine tribes and half tribe of Manasseh. Uh, two and a half tribes, half a tribe of Manasseh and two other tribes settled on the other side of the Jordan. Their men came over with, helped conquer the land. Then they went back and joined their wives and children back on the other side. But the other nine and a half tribes on this side of Jordan were uh, commanded to, uh, uh, Joshua was commanded to divide the land between them. Let me give you some interesting facts about this again, this is more informational than anything else, but still interesting. Judah was given the primary territory. Judah was Israel's firstborn or Jacob's firstborn. And so this was his birthright. If you ever look at a map of the 12 tribes, Judah's on the south. It's much larger than all the rest. Why? Because Judah, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he was the firstborn. That was his birthright. Simeon was given his allotment of land within the borders of Judah. Judah had more than uh, land than needed, so they shared their land with the tribe of Simeon. Something else that's interesting is that you ever notice there is no tribe named Joseph. Anybody here ever wondered why there's no tribe named Joseph? Joseph did not get a tribe named after him. Instead, he had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they got the names. And so I'm sure that probably was pleased. Joseph would have been pleased with that decision is, hey, I don't get one tribe, but I get two tribes uh, through my children, and their names are, are elevated in that way. Uh, uh, Levi, Levi was not given a territory. Joshua, Joshua 13, verse 14 tells us that God was the inheritance of Levi. They inherited God. Now, wow. You say, well, why weren't they given a territory? Well, they were given little cities inside each of the tribes, where they were to live, but God did not want them worried about taking care of a, of, of, a, of, a, of a territory or of lands and houses. God wanted their total focus and attention on Him and loving Him. Number five, we see Joshua's plea. Joshua's plea to Israel for faithfulness to God. You cannot get through the book of Joshua without coming to verses 15 and 16. Key verses in the book and a very important passage in the book. Again, we're covering a lot of information in uh, in about 35 or 40 minutes here, but uh, I don't we don't want to uh, leave this out as as it serves as really one of the top passages in the entire book. It says there, and this is Joshua giving his last instructions to all of Israel as they're gathered right before he dies. The Bible says there in verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. So Joshua makes a pact with the people there. Are you going to choose to serve the other gods? Or are you going to choose to serve... Your God that's given you victory. And the people said, we will serve the Lord. Look down at verse 30. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. So everyone alive at that time that was there, whether they were a baby up, 
their generations would go forth and they would serve the Lord. Now, we'll get into Judges next week and we'll see that there, became, there came a generation that knew not uh, the Lord, that knew not uh, a Joshua and those, and those fathers, uh, their forefathers, and they chose to go a different direction. But what an impact Joshua had. I'd ask you this question tonight. Are you just kind of meandering your way through the Christian life? Just, well, you know, I'll let life come at me and uh, all right, I'll make a little decision for the Lord here, a little decision for the Lord there. But, you know, my Christianity, it's, it's just kind of lukewarm. You know, I just kind of go through the flow. And uh, Listen, you need to be aggressively attacking sin in your heart. Aggressively trusting God. One thing I, I did some time back, it, it dawned on me that uh, as I look back over my adult life, Specifically my adult life. I'm sure I could probably go back into my teenage years and my childhood. But specifically my adult life, I can see several instances where God was trying to grow various aspects of my faith. I can look back and see where he was trying to grow my faith in him when it came to money. My faith in him when it came to my geographical location. My faith when it came to him with my occupation. My faith when it came to him uh, 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 with my relationships with others. And I can go back and I can make a list of all the, and so I decided I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write down all the different ways where God is growing my faith, has grown my faith, is growing my faith, and needs to grow my faith. I'm going to say tonight that God's goal for you is to get you to trust Him in every facet of your life. And then the other side of that is for you to defeat sin. Are you proactively trying to defeat the sin in your life? Are you proactively trying to trust God? Those are the two things you've got to do in order to go get them. In order to give the devil a black eye. In order to move forward for the Lord and have that victorious Christian life. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. Listen, we get so, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, we get so wound up, so tied up and just,